This is the Impact Church Podcast. Here at Impact, we believe a powerful word at the right time can help you overcome any challenges you are facing. Wherever you are listening or whatever you're going through, we pray this message speaks exactly to your need. Enjoy. Last Sunday, we did this sermon and we started a sermon. I told you we're going to do part two today. And so we started over here with my friend. So, you know, I was thinking about this all week. I don't know who thinks about this kind of stuff all week, but I was. I was saying, huh, I don't know what to name him. I just was just battling back and forth. I said, you got to give him a name. <laughs> right. So, so, so I said, well, mm. first I had to decide if it was a boy, a girl, a guy, a lady. So I was like, I'm going to make him a guy, somebody that I could identify with. Then I said, well, hmm, I'm a, maybe I'm naming Tyrone for obvious reasons. And I said, uh, maybe not. I don't know. He didn't look too much like a Tyrone. Then I had a flashback of, I know this is a, some generation will notice, of a TV show back in the 70s, really big, called Happy Days. And they used, to, they used a name called Squeaky. I said, maybe I'll just call him Squeaky. I said, but no, he ain't a Squeaky. And so I just got to do the obvious name, Bones. Bones. And so <laughs> we started off last Sunday, and God said, oh, I got to get my mouthpiece on this here because I'm about to do something, and I need everybody to hear about it. And there's nothing better than getting somebody who can make a lot of noise to get the word out. So I'm going to get my prophet, and I'm going to show him Mr. Bones. I'm going to show him a valley full of bones. So God goes and gets his prophet Ezekiel, and he takes him, and the Bible says, in a, it takes him in the spirit, so it's indicated in a vision for him. He takes him on, it, to see a vision of a valley full of bones. And so when you see bones, a lot of times, especially if the scripture says, can these bones live, you're going to think that it is about a question of life and death. In other words, this whole scripture that we're reading about is dealing with the death of something. But then on closer exploration, further down, we, we read where Ezekiel, oh, hold up, these ain't just bones, but these bones, there are many bones. It's many. And they're not just dry, but very dry. You know how we are when we're ashy, amen? Very dry. Well, the bones were very dry. And and so when you put all that together, you know, if, if we were in forensics, you know, and we came to a murder place or a place where somebody passed away, they can tell you basically by examining the body roughly how long that body has been dead. And so upon, as I told you a moment ago, be, upon closer examination, they realized, oh, this, he didn't just die last night. He didn't just die. This didn't just happen overnight. It happened over time because these bones are very dry. And so what we chose last week is that this scripture we're about to go back to is not about a situation which is just about death. It's, it's not about death, but it's about decay, something that has died not overnight but over time. And, and when I'm talking about dying over time, maybe I'm, not, uh, maybe I'm talking about things that maybe some things you can't touch in your life. Maybe some things like passion doesn't always die overnight. It usually dies over time. Y'all ain't going to say nothing, but I'm going to preach it. Anyhow, uh, come on, somebody. Uh, confidence doesn't just die overnight, but it, it dies over time. You, you look up, and all of a sudden, you're no longer confident doing the thing that you used 
to do, or confident driving in the dark, or whatever it may be in your life that you once had a confidence and confidence in your score. But over time, it looked like things begin to erode and deteriorate, and your confidence has shifted. How many of y'all know that faith doesn't just die overnight? It dies over time. Just a little bit of not trusting, a little bit of not believing, a little bit of, of not fellowship. And before you know overnight, you're, it's not overnight, but over time, your faith has deteriorated. And so we're not talking about right now in your life those things that have just died yesterday. We're talking about those things that have not died overnight, but that have died over time. Can these bones live in your life? And then I gave you my little preliminary thing when I talked about the church, about all the amazing things the church has done in history. And that's just, I'm just talking about recent history, those but we could also say, as I, if you heard what, some things we said about the direction of the church right now last week, and it's not going in an upward direction, it's going in a decline direction. The, the Western church, that's Australia, Canada, Europe, and the United States, and the United States is better than all those places by far. They're really, really dry, like very dry. And, and so if we're really honest with ourselves, this scripture, we could also look at the scripture and say, not only are the things that have decayed in our lives, but also the church is in a state of decay. Oh, I wish I had a witness in this place this morning. I wish I had somebody that would just drive by a few churches and see how much life you see. I wish you would just reflect on your way here because you pass churches on your way here. I passed several, I passed at least five six churches on my way here this morning, and I don't live very far. And I see everything. I see brick. I see mortar. I see steeples. I see windows. I see some cars, and I don't see life. And so, when we look at it, we see graves. When we think about our own lives, sometimes, hmm. let's go back right quick. Let me ask you this question. How did Israel wind up in this open grave? Because this is where they are. They're in a valley. Ezekiel sees a valley full of dry bones. How was it that, in the, and you, you'll find out if you didn't catch it last week, that these are the, uh, are the house of Israel. This is Israel that he's seeing. It's in a valley full of dry bones. And as I begin to look at that question, because that's really what we're going to be looking at different this week than last week, is how did Israel get inside of a valley full of dry bones in a place where it's not only dead as a nation, but so much time has gone beyond that it's in decay? How did they get there? And I'm going to answer that question for you. Israel got there real simply. They got there the same way that we get there. They dug their own grave. And so what I want to ask you this morning is, what, ha what do you do when the grave you're in is the one you dug for yourself? Oh, y'all ain't going to say nothing. I, I, I want to preach. Can you help me out real quick over there, Murphy? Can you give me a little help? Uh-huh. Right there. What do you do when the grave you're in is the one you dug 
for yourself. Let me, let me break that down. So right now, you're in a, you're in a financial grave because you mismanaged your finances. You're in a financial grave. Some of us, we didn't treat our body as kindly as we should have over time. There were habits that we did or things that we didn't do, and now our health is in a health grave. What do you do when, when the grave that you're in is the one that you dug for yourself? You would have had this tight relationship, but it was your pride that caused the separation. It was your pride that broke the closest. What do you do when the grave that you're in is the one you dug yourself? I was on fire for God. I love Jesus. You couldn't stop me. But today, I'm in a spiritual grave because it was me that strayed. It was me that went the other way. It was me that fell in temptation and stayed there. God, what do I do when I'm in a grave that I dug myself? And as I said, the church is in a grave too. We don't pray like we used to pray. Digging our own grave. We don't fast like we used to fast. Yay! That was for me. Digging our own grave. We don't serve like we used to serve. Digging our own grave. We don't gather like we used to gather. Digging our own grave. Lying in an open grave. The church with its celebrity preachers and its self-centered gospel. No, I'm going to say that one. Celebrity preachers, self-centered gospel. Bless me, touch me, move for me, heal me, use me, and when you get through, do something for her. If you spin around three times, God going to give you $100. No, but he will let you have busyness. I haven't been in church a long time. I've seen all of that. I was talking to somebody recently about the state of the church, and I said, oh, God, you know, because I told you last week I've been studying this, particularly this, the trends since the mid-2000s. So it's not the pandemic. This has happened over time. The pandemic just sped it up. And, um, and I was talking to him about the state of the church, and I said, I just don't understand how believers could take this lying down. And out of my mouth, as soon as I said that, the answer came, huh, maybe that's why God is saying arise. Maybe that's why God said arise, awaken, be stirred, and prepare for action. And yet God knowing the grave we've dug for ourselves. He asked Ezekiel a question, and I'm passing it on to you this morning. Can these bones live? And so this morning, we're going to look at what God does and how he responds when the grave we're in is the one we dug ourselves. Anybody ever dig a grave for yourself? We're going to find out the steps that we got to go through if we're going to get out of that grave. We're going to find out how we must actively partner with God. Say partner. There's some things in your life that God's not going to do for you, but he'll do with you. Woo, that'll preach. There's some things in your life God's not going to do for you, he will do with you. And if you think that he's going to do for you, you're going to be waiting on him and he's going to be waiting on you. 
But if you partner with God, somebody say partner. If you partner with God, you'll see some restoration in your life. And then you're going to find out how I can stand here confidently and tell you the future. Here's the future I'm going to tell you. That despite the grave that the church has dug itself in, whether we talk about even the recent stuff with the political stuff that's going on and all that stuff with, with all that, as it relates to country and mixing the two together, it doesn't matter what the grave is that the church has dug itself in. You're going to find out how God still intends to use the church. You ready? Now, I need y'all to pray with me because we got lots till this Sunday morning. We got dream Sunday commissioning, offering, all kind of stuff going on. Here we go. Is the heat on still? We can turn the heat on. I'm burning up. I'm already sweating. I didn't do nothing yet. All right. Thank you. Sando. All right, here we go. Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley, and it was full of bones. He had me pass among them all around, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. Where were they at? The surface of the valley, open grave. And behold, they were what? Very dry. Then he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, Lord, you God, you yourself know. And he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. So I prophesied as, I, as he commanded me, and the breath entered them. And they came to life and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the entire house of Israel. What does the bones represent? house of Israel. You got it. All right. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up and our hope has perished. Why? Because it's been so long. We are completely cut off. Therefore, prophesying, say to them, this is what the Lord says. Behold, I am going to open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Then you will know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves and caused you to come out of your graves, my people. In case you are confused, he's making it very clear who he is. I am the Lord, and you are what? My people. So the very first thing that happens, and I'm going to just say some quick points, I hope, up front. The very first thing that happens is God takes the prophet on a field trip. You know, if you're a good teacher, you take, you take your students on a trip so they can get out there and be exposed. Y'all, how many of y'all know a lot of education has to do with exposure? So you got exposed in what's going on. So he said, all right, Ezekiel, I need you to understand the state that Israel is in right now. I need you to understand just how bad it really is. So I'm going to have to take you out on a field trip. So on the field trip, he takes him, the Bible says, by the Spirit and shows him a valley. The first thing I want you to understand this is that you'll never come out of a grave that you don't see as a grave. You got to first see it. You got to see. The first thing he's going to do is show it to you. And that's not exciting. That's not encouraging to go home and look at a marriage and say, that's a grave. To go look at your checkbook and say, that's a grave too. To go look at your friendships and your relationships, that's a grave. To go look at your, your car and say, that's a grave. To get a health report and say, that's a grave. To get a report card from your child's teacher that's, and it looks like it's grave. But you got to first see it as a grave before there's ever going to be change. You'll never get delivered from something that you see that's a grave, but you keep seeing it as a garden. As long as you see it as a garden, don't recognize that as a grave, you're going to stay inside that coffin. 
So the first thing he's got to do is take Ezekiel on a trip and say, you're going to have to recognize that, you're, that Israel is as good as that. They're in an open grave. You're going to have to see it. So the Spirit of the Lord takes him out so that he can see. The very next thing that the Spirit of the Lord does, he says, the Bible says that he set me down in the middle of the valley. It's one thing to get an aerial view. It's one thing to go on Google Earth and get an aerial view of your community. It's another thing to get, get from the aerial view and start walking the streets in the hood. It's another thing to start walking the streets in the back alleys. It's another thing to start walking the streets in a neighborhood that needs to be renovated completely. When you actually get out there and you touch it and you sit in it, you begin to fully experience it. So the next thing that God does is he says, I'm going to need you not just to see it, but you're going to have to sit in it. You gotta experience this thing. Because when you saw it, all you saw was dry bones. But now that you're sitting in it, now that I set you there, you gotta experience it now. Negative rice, it's not dry bones, but it's very dry. It's not just bones, but there are many bones. You're gonna have to experience it. You're gonna have to sit in it for a moment. You say, but why? Because see, it's when he allows us to sit in it that we get to take inventory of all the things that we lost. You don't even know what you lost until you take inventory. I had a relative go out of town. Somebody broke into their house, stole their car out the garage, mm. but stole a lot of other things in the house. The easy thing was to stop and say, well, my car is gone. But when you start looking for rings and necklaces and earrings and gold and a stack of cash and TVs, you got to stop and sit in it for a minute and take inventory. So sometimes God will let us sit in it so we can take inventory because what we notice is all of a sudden Ezekiel is becoming really descriptive about this valley of bones, that there's a whole lot of them and that they're very dry and that the bones are disconnected from one another. And so let me just give you real quick how the enemy uses these very steps that, that, he's got to, that Ezekiel experiences, that he experiences in our lives as we, if we to cause us to backslide. The very first thing that happens is he, he notices that there's some disconnected bones. The very first thing Israel lost was connection. When, when God sent them because they got a holy time out for their idolatry, putting something before God, he said, all right, you're going to hang out in, in Babylonia for 70 years. You're not going to be in the land of Israel. That was what I did for you when you was acting right. Y'all know how you do when you cut off Christmas and birthdays and all that kind of stuff. And summertime, you're going to be right up in here studying. He said, okay, you want to cut a fool? I'm going to give you a holy time up. And then when you go to exile, you're not going to be all around each other. You're not going to be around Ray Ray and all them. You're not going to be around Tommy. You're not going to be around Susie. I'm going to separate you. They're going to separate you in Babylonia. And the first thing that's going to happen is you won't have these bones connected. But it's going to be disconnected bones because, see, the very first thing that happens when we backslide is disconnection from the other part of the body. Woo! Jesus, I know I'm preaching this morning. If I got to preach to myself, Jesus. We dig our own grave when we start disconnecting. I don't need nobody else. I got Jesus. I can pray by myself. That's funny because Jesus had 12. I don't need nobody else. That's funny because Paul had nine. If you're greater than Paul and you're greater than Jesus, then you don't need anybody else. Christianity is not an individual sport. Just, we live in a very individualized culture, but that's not Christianity. Second thing, he's looking 
Because in order for this body to be put back together, the Lord says, I got to put tendons and muscles on it. Because right after you lose connection, you lose strength. Want to know why you can't move mountains when you pray? Want to know why you don't have the vitality that you used to have? Want to know why you don't have the fire that you used to have? Want to know why every day looks like you don't have enough strength to make it through the day and to show up as mom and to show up as daddy, to be that employee, to be that business? Because you don't have the strength because when you lose connection, you lose strength. When we dig our own grave. The final thing that he's got to do is acknowledge the fact that not only the bones no longer connected, they're just laid out all over the place, dry, a sign of what once was. No strength, no connection. There's no breath. Because right after you lose connection, you lose strength. And after you lose connection and strength, you, live, you lose spiritual vitality. You cannot have spiritual vitality when you don't have connection and you don't have strength. What happens when we dig our own grave? And so God says, all right, Ezekiel. Because, you know, if it were me, I would have been like, you know what, Ezekiel, here's what's going on. I'm God. I got this covered. I'm going to get you out of the grave. I'm going to get you back to Israel. He said, nope, I want Ezekiel to experience it, which is why I'm taking you down this road this morning, because I believe we can learn from experiencing. So he says, I want him to experience it. And, and while he's experiencing it, it would have been just, in my opinion, it would have been nice to give him the Google Earth vision. And he could have just said, ooh, not good. God's going to do something. Amen. God said, nope, sit in it. Sit in it. Let me say this to you. We got to learn that part. That's a part that we don't really learn. But you got to sit in Good Friday before you get to Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday ain't even good until you deal with Good Friday. There's nothing great about Easter Sunday until you pass by Good Friday. Until you understand that Jesus was in a, great, a closed grave that looked like all hope was gone, looked like it would never come back together, looked like everything had failed for the disciples and those who tried only for them to experience Easter Sunday. But you don't get to Easter Sunday until you deal with the grave. So Ezekiel, sit in it for a minute. This is what it looks like when you're separated from me. This is what it looks like when you do it your way. This is what it looks like when you don't fully trust. This is what it looks like when you put things before me. Sit in it. So he let Israel sit in it for 70 years. Let me say something to you, sidebar, not the message, sidebar. We rescue people before they fully experience the consequences of their action, only for them to redo it again because they never experienced it. I don't know if I can. <laughs> Jesus. I'm going to try, though. <laughs> we rescue people before they experience the consequences of their action, and therefore they never learn from it. Which means they go through the same cycle all over again. So God's given them that 70 years was not so much punitive as much as it was restorative. Example, prodigal son. I'm going to do it my way. Give me my stuff now. That was a slap in the face because you only get this stuff when the dad is dead. It's like me saying, as far as I'm concerned, daddy, you're as good as dead, so give me your stuff. That was a big slap in the face, right? The father says, you want your stuff? Here. 
The son can't handle it because he's not mature enough yet. Goes out and spins it. And the Bible says after spinning all of it, he's down waddling with the pigs, with the swine, which is a big no-no for Jews. And, but then the Bible said he came to his senses. You know when he came to his senses? After he sat in it. Stop rescuing folk that didn't come to their senses yet. Now I'll help you. When you come to your senses, I'll help you. When you want better for your life than I want for your life, I'll help you. I'm not going to help you and, you, and I want more for you than you want for you. Jesus. All right, that was free. That wasn't even a message, but. Mm. Mm. And so here they are, disconnected, without strength, without spiritual vitality, no connection to God, lying there for a long time, decayed in an open grave. Which is kind of weird because, you know, they have all these laws which you'll read about when we get to Leviticus and the Bible plan for a year. How many of y'all are reading it? Stay on it. Stay on it. Get in the Word. You're going to find out that there's ways that they dealt with dead bodies. And we have some of the practices today, quite frankly. But ways that they dealt with dead bodies and how not to touch and, and how to bury. That's a, that's a Jewish tradition to, to bury and, and got passed into Christianity. And so the idea that, that God would use an open grave to sort of showcase the state that Israel as a nation was in, it was good as dead and decayed, that they're in an open grave. It's quite interesting that he would take Ezekiel, his prophet, and have him go amongst the dead. That's not usually what God would do with a Jewish person in Scripture. You follow me? And I said, why are these, why are these, why is God using this open grave? And I said, maybe he's shown us that they're in an open grave, letting us know that there's still a way out. So that you see that there's still a way out. That you see that there's still hope. So that you see this ain't the end of the road. That you see God's faithfulness. That you see God's goodness. That it's not the end. Because it can look like the end. It can look hopeless. It can look like it's finished. But sometimes God got to give you just a little light that you can see. It's not a final grave. It's an open grave. Which means that there's a way in and there's a way out. God show me the way out of the grave I dug for myself. So the first thing, Ezekiel, let's go on a trip, see it. Second thing, sit in it. I need you to experience it. Third thing, I didn't just leave you there to sit in it. I didn't leave you there to sit in it. I'm taking you up so that you can now say the word to it. Say the word to it. Notice that that was the order. He didn't, tell him, he didn't just tell him, go show up and just start saying the word. He said, he said first you go, I, I took you. Then I set him down in the middle, and then he said, now you prophesy and say. You prophesy and say. Somebody say and say. He said, say the word. Because, you know, when God gets ready to do something, he starts with a word. Let there be light, and it was. Let vegetation appear in vegetation. Whenever God gets ready to move, he starts with a word. 
God's getting ready to recreate Israel again out of what was a dead nation back into a nation of vibrancy back in their own land. So he begins to start off with a word. Let there be space between the waters and the heaven. He doesn't let dry ground appear and happen. Let the land produce vegetation and happen because God has given you life. He does it by his word. You see, when you have dug a grave for yourself, you may find yourself speaking everything else but God's word. So it may sound something like this. Oh, this is all your fault. You deserve it. You have this coming. If you hadn't have done X, you wouldn't have got Z. You ain't going to never get out of this one alive. Why bother? Nothing ain't going to change. But maybe God brought you here this morning to remind you of his word. You've spoken every other word. To, maybe God wants you to speak his word to your situation, his word to your grave, his word to the grave on the inside of you. Sometimes you got to speak the word of the Lord, even though it was your own fault. You can still speak the word of God back over that this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith that all things work together for good to those that love God are called according to his purpose, that we know that God would man some things are possible, but with God all things are possible. And even sometimes you got to say, God, I know I messed up, but you told me that if I confess my sins before you be faithful just to forgive me and to cleanse me from all righteousness. The psalmist said, you won't leave my soul in Hades. Nor allow my body to rot in the grave. You got to get in your spirit that, God, I might be in hell right now in some ways, in some manner of speaking, but you're not going to leave me there. All right, I'm halfway there. I told you I was a lot. Oh, I can't do that this morning. I got a lot more to do. <laughs> but thank you. I appreciate it. Lord Jesus, Woo. I don't know who planted service, but we got a lot going on. <sighs> so, <laughs> oh God, all right. So Ezekiel does what God tells him to do. He begins to speak and prophesy. And as he's prophesying, things begin to happen. As you begin to speak the word, I don't know what to tell you, but I'm going to tell you this much. Things begin to happen when you begin to speak God's word. And he starts seeing the bones come together, bone to his bone, and, and, and tendons and muscles on the bones, and, and from that point, skin. And, and then that point, he speaks, he says, God, God says, let breath, and breath enters it and becomes a mighty army now. He begins to see things happen. And so what we see is that God is recreating Israel. But what's really interesting about this, and it's going to make sense to you in a minute while I'm saying this, what's really interesting about this is that God, when you look at the word, the Lord told him to do this, and the Lord told him to do that, and the Lord said that, and you'll know that I am the Lord. That word Lord is in all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, and capital D, which tells us that that word is not the word or the name that God used to identify himself to most people because that name would not have been all capitalized. That would have been the name, watch this, Elohim. And Elohim would have been just a general name that everybody uses to call God. Like God is general. Follow? He doesn't do that. And you would think that he does because Elohim is a name that the creator God used in Genesis. 
because it shows his power to create creation. And we see God is creating an army, creating a body, creating his nation again. So, but God doesn't use that name. He uses a name that's a little more intimate. It's a name that reflects a relationship and friendliness and, and, and proximity and closeness. He uses Yahweh. Oh, here we go. This is good. This is good. This is good. Because, see, everybody can't call everybody by the same name. That's right. Let me give you some examples. I wish one of my little ones would have came up and called me when they were growing up would have called me Don. What? Now, my wife could call me that, but they couldn't. That wasn't the relationship that they had. Even though one of my kids tried to be smart, he was playing with me. I ain't going to name no names, but he's here this morning. Praise God. And uh, both my sons was there, but the, this one is the one that said it. He said, I was calling, I was calling him out of his name, being funny, we were playing. He said, he said, all right, John. Because Don, you get it? Y'all missed the whole joke. But anyway, so we still have that running joke. But anyway, but how many of you know that um, if you ran into Barack Obama, you would probably call him Mr. President? All the former presidents, but you would call him Mr. President. But I have a hard time believing that's what Michelle calls him. She don't have to call him that. She can call him Barack. She knows him a little bit better than we do. She has an intimate relationship with him. So when God gets ready to show us something, when he gets ready to show us how he relates with us, he uses a name because the name tells us how he is relating with us. So you follow what I'm saying this morning? So instead of saying, I create a God that everybody uses, he says to Israel, no, no, says Yahweh. Which is letting them know that even though you have not been faithful, even though it was your doings that dug the grave that you're in, I'm going to raise you up out of that grave, not because of your goodness, but because of my faithfulness to my covenant. Because Yahweh was his covenant name. And what you got to understand this morning is that God's not going to get you out of the grave that you're in because you're so good, because you have it together. If you had it together so much, you wouldn't be in the grave. But the wonderful part about it is that because he loves us, because you belong to him, because you're in partnership and in covenant with him, it's not going to be because you got it together. It's going to be because of his goodness and his faithfulness. So if you're in a grave this morning because of how good you haven't been, and if you're in a grave this morning because of some of the decisions you have made that have not been good, understand this morning, understand this this morning, that you qualify for the grave digger to get you out. I'm almost done. Y'all don't even know what to say now. <laughs> <laughs> and so Ezekiel prophesies when Ezekiel starts just bones just picture the whole stage just nothing but bones by the time he finished saying what God says he doesn't see bones he sees a body and he sees a body that God still intends on using we know this because God put his spirit in it. God made that body breathe. And God had every intention of still fulfilling his covenant promise to Israel. 
And here's what I want you to understand this morning. God is still using the body. He's called the church. Because Israel's primary purpose was to be a light to the Gentiles. And the way it became the biggest light to the Gentiles was several generations later when it birthed somebody that we all come to know, Jesus Christ. And from that came the body of the church. And so I want you to understand this morning that despite where the church has been, God's going to cause the church to breathe again. God's going to raise up his church again. And God is still using his body. Now, he not, he's not using a bone. He's using a body. Come on, somebody. He's using, he's using his corporate church, not just one church, not just impact or first church of XYZ town. He's using the body of Christ, and he will raise back up his body. So let me just say this. God is still moving through his body. Last two points, he's moving in community. How do you know? Because he didn't raise up one bone. He raised up a body that was connected. And so God's not raising up bones, but a body. Bone came together with his bone. How many of y'all know you won't connect with everybody, but you got to connect with somebody? Woo, that was worth coming for this morning. You ain't going to connect with everybody, and you're not supposed to. What would happen if, if this elbow, part of the elbow, tried to connect with the foot? It wouldn't. It's not supposed to. But it got to connect with somebody. You're not going to connect with everybody. But you got to connect with somebody. You say, well, why? Because let me say this to you. I don't care if you're talking about a plane, a train, business, or the kingdom. You will only go as far as your connections. You get on a plane that got a connection flight to New York, but you got to stop in D.C. You don't catch a connection, you don't get to D.C. You don't get to New York. You only go as far as your connections. Oh, that was free, but it works in business too. And then we're going to talk about that next Sunday because here's what I want to say to you. I want to encourage some of you that have been disconnected from church, disconnected from community, disconnected from a small group. I'm going to encourage you to get connected. Well, that went over real well. Take your time. <laughs> Amen. So don't miss that next week. And the second thing, God is still moving through his body through ministry. He's moving in community through ministry. He's moving in community through serving. He's moving in community through ministry. He's still doing it. He's still doing it. Because when he gets, watch this, when God gets the body back on his feet, he doesn't get you back on your feet for you to sit down. I know a lot of us prayed and God has gotten on our feet before financially, and relationships, whatever. But just understand, God did not get you back on your feet for you to sit down on him. He still has a work for you to do. And so Matthew 5 says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. The way that we let our light shine, you know, I came up Baptist and so this little light of mine, how many of y'all know that one? got to know this. All right, yeah. And so the way that you let your light shine is not just by singing the song. The way that you let your light shine is when you do good works to the glory of God. 
When you serve other people unselfishly, you let your light shine. And people go, what is it that motivates you to give out water on the street? What is it that motivates you to serve in the pantry on a Thursday morning? What is it that motivates you that when no one else is there that you're going to stand up and, and you're going to provide streaming services for folks who cannot come? Those are the things that happen because you love others more than just loving yourself. You're letting your light shine. And so I have one final question for you. Because I know this about the church, but God's going to fix this. I know that the church has not been the body it needs to be. It's lost its hands, literally. I ain't going to move you too much. You're really dry. We've lost our feet, and we've become a big mouth. So here's a question that we all have to ask, even myself. I've been this, I will celebrate this year. Um, it needs to become more important to me than my birthday, quite frankly. I will celebrate 40 years the last Saturday of October this year of following Jesus. I'm excited about it. And even I have to ask myself the same question, and I want you to ponder this. Will I be a part of what God has done or what he's doing? Because if I'm only a part of what he's done, the bones are still on the ground. But if I'm a part of what he's doing, I'm up on my feet. And I'm being used right now. It's not good enough for me to say what I did in 80 or 90 or 92 or whatever. It's what is God doing now? God, I want to be part of it. And here's what I know about the grave. That when I go there physically one day, my desire is to go empty that I will not take any gift with me to the grave, any talent to the grave, that there won't be a sermon that I didn't preach that I should have preached, there won't be a song I could have sung that I didn't sung, there won't be a person that I didn't tell that I loved that I could have told, that God, when I go to the grave, I'm going empty. And I want to encourage you to do the same thing. Let's pray this morning. If you're standing on your feet, y'all come up on the stage. And... Um, pray for you this morning because I know that if you're in a grave that you dug for yourself, those can be the hardest because we're hard on ourselves. And I want to encourage you this morning to let, to let that harshness go, and here's the reason why. You don't have to punish yourself for something that Christ has already taken the punishment for you for. That's what the cross was about. That's what the cross was about. I have been there before, but you don't have to punish yourself. He has taken your punishment. He's taken your shame. He's taken your, if I, sh I should have did, I wish I should have, wish I could have, would have, should have, whatever. He's taken all that himself for you. You know, there's that law that says you can't be tried twice for the same crime. He was already crucified for your crime before it happened. So you don't have to put yourself through that. And so I'm going to encourage you this morning as we pray that if you're holding any of that, to release it, you know. And for some of you, you've been in this quite some time. And maybe just maybe that this is the season now that there's a shift for you. Where you shift from sitting in it to start saying what the Word says. Anybody feel me this morning?
Let's pray. Father, thank you that there's grace enough for every failure, for every mistake, for every sin, for every decision. God, your grace is unfailing and never ending. Thank you for grace this morning. Thank you for forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that you won't leave us in the grave, God. But you're able to bring restoration and deliverance to our lives. I pray for the heart that is heavy this morning. I pray for the heart that feels hopeless. I thank you, Lord God, that the fact that they're here this morning, let there be a confirmation and a testament to them, God, that there is an opening to get out of it. And Lord, what flesh cannot do, the Spirit of the Lord can do. What we cannot get ourselves out of, you can, God. So we thank you this morning for freedom. We thank you this morning for hope. We thank you for getting us back up on our feet. And Lord, as a corporate church or an expression, a part of the corporate church this morning, we, we acknowledge our own sin. We acknowledge where we have been a lot of mouth, but less hands and less feet. We acknowledge our shortcoming, our disconnection, our lack of connecting in community. We acknowledge, God, our loss of strength, and we also acknowledge loss, our loss of vitality. And we ask you to forgive us. And we ask you to restore us. We ask you to re, re Put the fire back in us again. Put the passion back in us again. Put the connection back in us again, God. Give us strength again, God. Let our best days be the, our, the rest of our days, not the ones that are behind us. We thank you, Lord, for using us for your purposes and for your glory. Let God help us to let our light shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. We honor you, and we thank you for it now. In Jesus' name.